Hello, and welcome to this episode of Cyber Matters, part of the Kasuth Podcast Network. I'm your host, Russ Dorsey. I'm a principal and CIO at Kasuth & Company. And the Cyber Matters podcast is basically talking about the cyber and technology that, that matters to us and our clients, their businesses, their families, um, looking for those things that are important to know, um, you know, for technology, not only to protect yourself, but also how, um, how technology is benefiting some of our clients, how they put it to use, uh, but also talking to um, industry professionals and people that have been, you know, in, in business and, and doing those things um, to serve this community. All right. Well, today we are very excited uh, to have uh, have Darren Mott, um, uh, retired special agent with the FBI, uh, now uh, working with. Uh, am I allowed to mention your company? You want to mention? sure? Yeah, that's fine. Quantum Research. Quantum Research uh, up in Huntsville, but also uh, the host of uh, two podcasts. Right, the, uh, only the, one now. Yeah, I've, I've you consolidated uh, them back. One. Okay. I came across Darren, uh, I, guess, I guess, right before COVID, when I was doing the more InfraGuard work, and I heard you speak a, a couple of times. Uh, very exciting and engaging speaker, and he'll he'll explain why he's actually got more of a background in that. Um, but then also 20 years with the FBI. After being a high school teacher, which I definitely want to get into, uh, you you decided to uh, to to put in for the FBI, and you had two kids at the time, which your wife mm-hmm. must wife must have thought you were nuts, or maybe you. No, really she was all for it. She was she supported it. She was all for it. Uh, it must have really been bad in high school if you decided to go in law enforcement, right? No. Yeah, well, we'll have that discussion. I'll tell you. I'll tell you how we got there. Which That's the first question you? everybody always asks. I always get that question first. Exactly. Um, but uh, but but the interesting things you did with the FBI because you had a uh, your your career took you through uh, counterintelligence. So what what it says here in your bio is that uh, you you worked with the uh, FSB, the Russians, on collaborative efforts in the in 2011. Uh, and then created the first national level program blending counterintelligence and cyber. And I think if there was a, a salad days in the FBI, and from what I've heard from other agents and, and listen, listening to some of your podcasts, there really was, you got to invent things as you went along because the FBI was playing catch up big time uh, mm-hmm. for all those years. And, and I, th- I think you'll, you, you talk about that in your podcast. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to have you here today. Um, and at, at this point, with over 100, uh, 100 podcasts or more in the bag, you're seasoned at this, but you really started up during COVID. Uh, I mean, you've, you've, you've been going hard at it for three and a half, four years with this. Right. Um, yeah. Pre-COVID actually I started. So I, I retired in 2019. Actually, I guess it was COVID when I did start the podcast. You're right. Yeah. Thinking back now, yeah, 2020, I started the cyber guy podcast in the summer of 2020. I'd kind of always wanted to do a podcast, but I, but I'd retired, gone to work for quantum research, um, doing some cyber stuff for them. Um, but it took me a while to make sure they were good with me doing a podcast. I don't really talk. I don't talk. If you ever listen to my podcast, you really don't know where I work. I don't discuss it a whole lot because it's not really germane to the podcast. The point of my podcast is to help people understand in general terms, what cyber means to them. And there's plenty of technical podcasts you can go listen to, and they'll tell you about the ones and zeros and you know, why people do whatever and then how to program a, B and C mine is more because I have a, an education background. So I'm, I have two master's degree, one in education, one in cybersecurity. I'm trying to blend those two. I've blended those two together to help people better understand what cyber means to them. If they're a small business owner, what does it mean as a small business owner? If you're an individual, what does it mean? How do you protect yourself from the array of cyber actors out there looking to steal information from businesses, individuals, and so on? So I try to distill it down into simplest format. So if you were to in the last week, it's been the Move It file transfer app has been the big data breach 
unit for the for everybody. You know, I mean, Congress got hit by it, or at least the U.S. government got hit by it. Several European companies have been hit by it. There's been three vulnerabilities in the software discovered in the last two weeks. But I talked about it in this week's podcast, but not from a technical perspective, just from a, what's it mean to you? So why, you know, it, it's really a, it's that particular example just kind of shows a, you should patch your software and why you should patch your software. So it's more, I try to make it simplistic um, because there's plenty of technical ones out there. It's, that was a long answer to your question. So no, apologies but, on that. No, no, that's, that's the, that, that's, that's one reason it's enjoyable. And I won't, I won't say I've listened to, to hours and hours of it. I've probably, uh, sure. I probably caught five or six of the episodes. Um, you know, the, 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 the thing that as you go through it is I, I like the mix of it because you do have the FBI stories. And so if, mm-hmm. listen, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you like true crime or any of those kinds of things, this is a good podcast to go listen to because some of the things that you guys talk about, uh, the, the, one of the first ones I caught was about the, about the Invita or, or Invita, um, Oh yeah, invite yeah, yeah the yeah. invite a case yeah. You know, which which was uh, if if you can imagine when the police have the raffle ticket for all the deadbeats uh, where they get them down to the police station to arrest them by giving them a free raffle, this, mm-hmm. this was an invitation. The way I understand it, to a couple of Russian hackers who were posing to, as uh, uh, consultants to come over to the U.S. and perhaps do some consulting work, and the FBI grabs their credentials and arrest them before they they go back because you got to then turn around and go into their systems. And there was a lot to that, but. Uh, then you listen to uh, the the one that I I caught the other day prepping for this was the innocent images and that was a fascinating yeah. hour uh, because just having to figure out how you go in and this uh, again go find this podcast um, was uh, the, the, one of the first agents to work on child pornography and I'm sure that led to uh, you know human trafficking and other things but you say that's the uh, one of the longest standing ongoing FBI continues today continues yep. today. so she was, so yeah so the innocent images program. My first boss in the FBI was the case agent for Innocent Images when it started in 1992-93 timeframe, and it was really the first big cyber case in that the Bureau dealt with from, and it dealt with child pornography online, right, obviously. I mean, there certainly had been other intrusion stuff, and this is not, so 92, remember, the internet started in 88, first crime, and first, first internet crime was the Morris worm, um, and so that really kind of started looking at, hey, there's problems we need to deal with here, and, and she'll tell the story about how it was a, they had done a search warrant at a guy's house for, for he was a child predator and they found he was talking to all these guys online about child pornography. And that kind of, that's what kind of led to it. She went and bought the first computer, first covert undercover computer in the FBI out of the Baltimore division and started this undercover program that has continued as a national, a national investigative um, methodology since then. Every field office has some version of innocent images that they still do today. It's kind of like it was the federal version of To Catch a Predator. If you ever mm-hmm. watched the, you know, the NBC To Catch a Predator series, this was the federal version of it, To Catch a Pred- to catch the Bad Guys. So, yeah. and, and, and if I remember correctly, she had to, she, she was the first to go to, uh, to, to get a Title III uh, search warrant because uh, they, they go into AOL and realize that some of the chat rooms they can't get into and there's no legal yep. precedent yet, uh, but you've got this, you know, the wiretap title, Title Three, if I understand that correctly. So there were things done there that have now become standard practice. But then also uh, listening to the section about the psychology of it and, and, and the wear on the agents, you know, emotionally and psychologically having to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And then the Bureau then had to adjust and say, well, this is how we're going to handle this material internally and keep everybody's mental health in check. I mean, it's a, a fascinating hour. Um, yep. 
Yeah, the invited. The funny, the invited case with the two Russians that they they invited to Seattle. That was a multi-office investigation because there were victims in other field offices that were part of the that were targeted by this group. And one of my friends I worked with at FBI headquarters who talked about that case. She was a case agent out of, or one of, she was on the case out of Los Angeles because of that case and her name being released through some of the, the public record documents. She is now forbidden from traveling to Russia. Not that she's looking to go mind you, but if she, if she ever goes to Russia, she can be arrested and she's retired from the FBI as well now. So it's kind of, and that's one of the things on, I started the podcast to interview folks like that. Um, and I did interview a bunch of them, but that kind of, that well runs dry after a while. So it's kind of changed. It's morphed over the, the podcast has morphed over time. I had a second one called cyber, the get cyber smart podcast. It was only seven to 10 minutes long and it's kind of focused on one topic, but that never really got any traction for me. So I've kind of blended that particular aspect of that podcast into the cyber guy. So there's a, the last seven minutes of the cyber guy podcast is the get cyber smart portion. So I've kind of, it, it gives me less, it, it makes it easier to do it than trying to do two podcasts a week, which is, I thought I could do it every day, but certainly I, I cannot, I cannot, I could do it. I'm lucky if I get it out once a week at this point now. There's only so many FBI agents that'll talk. Of course you can get Scott Augenbaum on to talk anytime probably. <laughs> yeah, but everybody's heard what he has to say. He says the same yeah. thing every time. Yeah. And, 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 and we want to make sure we mention him because his book, the, uh, the, what is that book? The secret to cybersecurity. Yep. Um, which he, he touts as these are the free things that you don't need to spend money on to protect your business. Um, and, right. and pretty dead on. Uh, I mean, these things, again, we can't say these things enough because as, as you talk about in your podcast, um, so many of these things are preventable, you know, that's, mm-hmm. the, that, that's the tragic thing. Um, and if you want to talk about that for a minute, why this podcast is, you know, c- kind of pushing that because that was one of the things you talk about is that as an FBI agent, you figured out that, most of everything that could have been done could have been prevented if people were educated, right? Sure. If you look at most, the majority of cybercrime is all, it, it starts somehow with social engineering, be it intrusions into computer networks, be it what the, the new thing now is pig butchering, which is really just, a, it's a variation on a romance scam. You have plenty of people who want to find love online and they find love online and it's, it ends up costing them money. You have the lottery scams. It's not sophisticated. It's because Bad guys are prying on people's goodness at the, at the end of the day. You have, you know, a lot of people who, like, if you're like me and spend all day dealing with cyber crime stuff, when I get these messages on LinkedIn saying, hey, I came across your profile. I'm really interested in what you do. Can we talk? I will engage them for a while just for content so that I can then print what they told me because that leads to pig butchering because um, I want to go to WhatsApp or WhatsApp or another encrypted service happens all the time. But I know it. I know what to look for. But there's plenty of people that don't. If you were, you know, just retired from your job and so you're looking for another job, so you go on LinkedIn and you start getting messages from people who, you know, and these are attractive ladies. Obviously, they're using somebody else's picture. And if you don't do your due diligence, suddenly you're in a rabbit hole and you're, it's hard to get out of. I remember once the, the worst story I heard as an FBI agent and this was certainly not the worst ever, but it was bad for me, was a guy brought this lady in who was his neighbor and said, we need to file a complaint. Um, she, she got an email saying she'd won the lottery online. This is in 2010. Um, and she kept sending these people money and before she told anybody, cause she was embarrassed, she'd lost $200,000 to this lottery scam online. And then there's, and the sad thing, and this is what Scott, Scott will say this in his book as well. 
one of the one of the truths of all of this is chances are you're not getting your money back because once that money goes overseas it's gone i've had many people since i've retired reach out to me and say hey can you help me i you know this happened blah 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 they got me for fifty thousand dollars and i'll dig into it a little bit and you know it happened three months ago they can't figure out how to get the money back the money is gone it is not i mean it is not coming back and chances are no one's going to, to jail and so that's a hard pill for people to swallow and it's a hard pill for me to give them to take but um, a lot of times it is it is what it is. You know, there 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 is a short window to get that back, uh, yes. if if people are aware of that. And I think that's a, that's an important message to get out there. Is if you do fall victim to this, and especially if it's a wire transfer of a large amount, you can get with the FBI and IC three, which I, you know we'll need to plug later, uh, and they, mm-hmm. they can do what's called a, a I think call it a kill chain within seventy two yep. hours. Yep, email compromise kill chain. That's yeah, what exactly. they call it. Yep. Um, so, so that's something to make sure that, you know, we, we get out to, you know, to people, but what amazed me was the stories and, and pig butchering. You keep mentioning that. So I want to throw it back over to you because <laughs> yeah. I've explained what that term is, but then explain kind of how those scams are working because those, sure. again, once they get them on the hook through technology, the rest of it's just a, a, a con game that they run and then the money's gone. Right. So the newest, the newest evolution of the romance scam is what's being called pig butchering. And the, and the reason it comes from that term is there was a, there's a span, there's a Chinese phrase, Shanazapa or something like that. I sh- if I was smart, I would have had it pulled up here to look at, but it, it, it's, it literally means pig butchering. And what they do is they, 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 they pull you in as a typical romance scam either through social media account, you start a conversation and it goes for a long time. It's why it's called pig butchering because what they do is they fatten you up, fatten the, fatten the victim up before they take all their money. So essentially they'll convince you, Hey, I've got this great business opportunity. We can go into it together download this cryptocurrency market app. So you download this app that, that, or you go to a website that appears to be a cryptocurrency exchange site. And, you know, cryptocurrency is, you know, one of those magical cyber buzzwords that people don't want to be left behind. So they think it's a good idea. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, plus or minus to cryptocurrency. I invested it in previously, but I've cashed out of it all because it kind of all collapsed. But um, so, but you go in, and you'll invest a certain amount and they'll invest a certain amount. And there's a Ponzi scheme aspect to it where you'll watch the value of your investments go up. You can pull a little bit out of it and then you invest more and more and more and more and more. And then six months down the road, you've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars. It looks like you've made hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then you come in the next day, the money's all gone. The website disappeared. The, your online paramour has disappeared and you basically been pig butchered at that, that particular point. I actually was doing a presentation um, several months ago at a community college for some educators. Um, and a guy came, came up after me and I didn't call it pig butchering. I don't think at the, I might have, I, I forget what I, I mentioned that particular scam. And he said, yeah, you mentioned that scam. I was a victim of it because I, I'm embarrassed to tell you how much I lost, but it was, it was amazing how easy it was to get roped into. It. And he had the whole text string of the conversations with the person. And he was asking me how, you know, is it possible to get his money back? I said, when did you, when did it happen? He said, ah, two or three months ago. And I had to say, now, I'm sorry, that money is, is probably gone. I, I listen to presentations from the uh, Alabama Security Commission every year for different things that we do with InfraGuard, but uh, Joe Borg down there, who's uh, and, and the scams that lay out and how quickly those do evolve. And again, you know, just to, just to warn, uh, you know, everybody's listening to this, is understanding the, 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 I think the term is catfishing that goes on. 
We had a mm-hmm. uh, we we had a a, a email come in here a spam, but it was a somebody looking for tax services. Uh, but it was a pretty reasonable email. A couple of paragraphs. Hey, I'm coming to I'm coming to town. Uh, I'm looking for this service. Uh, here's my story. My wife. It was you know the, you know, the it's always in the details as they say. The my wife's been doing our accounting. Uh, using TurboTax. I've got a small construction company named the city up in Ohio. Uh, it had his name. Uh, the email came from a legitimate website. You go to the website, it's a nice WordPress site that's built out 30, 40 pages, pictures of homes, all this work that mm-hmm. they've been done. You know, the letter from the president on the front, there's the guy's name. You go look him up on Spokio. He's been living there for 20 years. Looks legitimate. When I go to social media, there's nothing there. I said, well, this is odd because... If this guy was doing this great work up there, there'd be a lot of raving fans, right? They'd be talking about him. And so I look up some text off of the website, and lo and behold, there's another website in Cleveland with the same information, the same site, but a picture of the truck, um, you know, uh, that's wrapped with with the employees. Um, And, uh, you know, and, and at that point, I go back and look, and the domain is about two weeks old. And that's when I realized that they'd actually stood up this site, or actually a bot had probably done it for them. They'd taken off all the identifiable stuff, put this guy's name. Um, but so I went to chat GPT, and that's the punchline to all this. I said, hey, write me a letter. I'm this person. I've got this. This I gave, I gave it the four details. It wrote the almost the exact same email for me. That, you know what you can do? You can take that email, put it in chat GPT, and say, did you write this? It'll tell you if it did or not. No, that's news. Okay, I didn't know that. Because mm-hmm. okay. I did that for Scott. So Scott asked me to put together like an outline for something. So I very quickly went to ChatGPT and said, write an outline for this. I sent it to him and he took it, put it in ChatGPT. He said, did you write this? And he sent me, he sent me those screenshots. I said, yeah, I wrote that. Did ChatGPT said, yeah, that came from me <laughs> or whatever. I, ChatGPT wrote this for you. That's, 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 a, that's a good takeaway from this because, I, I, you know, what we've always told people when we talk about fishing, but what we've always told in training was that, English, especially Southern English, has always been a little bit of an armor for us because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not from around here, you don't say the right words, right? Well, chat GPT, that all goes away, right? You can say, mm-hmm. write, write me an email from Alabama, and it's right. going to pattern after that. So we're seeing more and more of those things come, and, you know, with the, with the APIs and everything, they're able to tie this in. Um, are you doing all right on time? Yeah, I got about 15 minutes. Okay. Well, just just to kind of swing into business a little bit, because you were talking, we were talking about business email compromise, um, which is far and above the the most costly of the crimes that are out there. It outflanks uh, cyber, you know, cryptoware or ransomware. What thirty to one, forty to one? It's correct. Huge. Yeah, okay. ransomware twenty nine to twenty nine to one. Now, I will say, cryptocurrency and investment fraud has overtaken business email compromise. Oh, it has for twenty twenty two. For twenty twenty two, it did. Yeah. Okay. But we need to follow up on that. Then I may see if I can get Joe Borg or somebody to come talk on uh, from securities, uh, mm-hmm. security. Um, but on the other side of that, you know, ransomware is still what everybody's afraid of. Um, and as, as you point out, uh, if you do get ransomed, there's probably an exfiltration component of that too, where they got your data first and they dropped yep. the bomb on their way out. So they've got the data too. But understanding that the, it's the cloud as well, uh, you know, the... Sure. Um, Microsoft, you know, Office 365, which is supposed to be, you know, the, you know, it's probably the gold standard as far as security. Gmail, of course, they, they've had issues over there at Google recently. Um, but 
what are companies needing to do that if they've gone to the cloud um, and they've got this, I'll, I'll, I'll say it's a false sense of security about it. Uh, I mean, what, what are you advising there? Because yeah, I would say don't count, on, don't count on outsourcing your risk to your cloud provider. Sure, you're making some things easier for yourself by having everything in the cloud. But if you just say, hey, we're good, we put everything in the cloud, what do we have to worry about? We're golden. All right, well, let's say, let's say you have 25% of your workforce works from home. In order for them to access the files they need, they have to go into the cloud. Well, the bad guy is able to send Susie from accounting an email, and she opens the spreadsheet that appeared to come from the CFO. The spreadsheet had malware, which gave an attacker access to her laptop, which now gives her access to all the the bad guy access to all the cloud applications that you have now stored. How is that cloud really helping you versus, I mean, same problem, you'd have the same problem if you had an on-premises network, but do not think that just because you're moving stuff to the cloud that you are off, offloading your risk as well. You have to do all the same thing. You have to make people aware of what not to click on, be aware of all of the particular scam items, be aware of if they're working from home, particular risks there. Are you letting your kids download illegal movies on your work computer so they can watch uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 before it comes out on Disney Plus because that could potentially have malware that impacts your machine and allows a bad actor access into your network, all those kind of things. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying clouds or cloud access is bad, but do your due diligence for who, you know, don't use, you know, don't use Floyd's cloud service for your data. I mean, you know, if you're using Azure, or you're using AWS or using Google's infrastructure, you're probably reasonably safe that your data is secure, but Office 365 was down last week for a couple hours. So mm -hmm. people who, who are using that as their cloud service didn't have access to it for a while. So make sure you have multi-factor authentication turned on on all of those things as well. I, we had a company that we were dealing with that they had multi-factor authentication for their on-premises stuff, but they didn't have it activated for their cloud access. So they got dinged there. They got the, the bad guys were able to use online cloud um, access to hijack a session for one of their users and they got access to everything. They, they committed a business email compromise fraud in the middle of it. And it was simply because the company didn't turn on multi-factor authentication there as well. So even in your personal life and your business life, multi-factor authentication, long passwords is your key is your main key to success. Absolutely. And I think when you talk about something like office 365 or, or, or G suite, if, if you're on the business side, mm -hmm. um, is understanding you've got to turn on all the switches. I mean, it's, it's a secure platform, but, you know, the first thing when we went to, uh, you know, 365 was why do we need uh, non, you know, offshore access? So we turned, you know, with the, through geofiltering, basically all of our accounts are shut off overseas. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. that's not to say somebody can't VPN in, I understand that, but so much of the other stuff that ties in there is not always tied to VPN on the back end. Like you said, if they're coming in through a web, you know, an API or doing something there, uh, you know, hours of operation, if you can restrict those things, you know, there's device controls. Uh, you know, we, we don't do uh, Outlook web access because we had the conversation. Everybody's got mm -hmm. phones, so we can pair the phone with MFA. Why do they need web yep. access? And the answer was most of them don't, this group does. And then we were able to lock that down further. Um, so, so those are the things if you are, you know, if you've moved to the cloud already and you're evaluating that, uh, or if you think about going there is understanding out of the box, it's up to you. And Microsoft's got a great set of tools and so does G Suite, but you got to go in there and, you know, it's, it's not a do it yourself thing. You need somebody that's a cyber professional that can go through and go, okay, this is why you want to turn those things on uh, and, and use this system for somewhat less than it was designed <laughs> to do. 
um, because all of these other things are convenience. We, you know, it's like the third-party, you know, the third-party uh, plugins. We don't allow them. Uh, you know, some of them are very useful, and we've allowed, I think, one. But there's a place in Office 365 where you can turn that off, say nobody can install third-party plugins into Outlook. And yeah, and you need to really, I mean, even if you outlaw, outsource your security, outsource security, I'm using air quotes, yeah. to a cloud provider, you still need to do a risk, an overall risk assessment of your entire enterprise. I mean, not have to be NIST 800-171 compliant necessarily, yeah. obviously, that's more government oriented, but still you don't have to go to the, the 120 controls. But think about the, what are your top 10, what are the top 10 things you need to know about your network to keep it safe? You know, are you patching regularly? Do you know your hardware? Do you know your software? Do you have multi-factor authentication? Are you using good plugins, uh, good passwords? Um, are you training your folks? You know, there's, there's, you can find 10 to 15 to do those well and export those to your cloud environment as well. So when you've got all your data in the cloud environment, you know, come up with a cloud risk assessment as well and say, okay, what is our risk here within this environment? It may, it may not be a whole lot, may be very limited, but still you should at least look at it. If you can't do that yourself, find someone who can do it for you. I mean, cyber, cyber security is a cost. You're going to, you're going to have to pay for it, yeah. but there's, I mean, not saying you have to go get CrowdStrike or Mandian and pay a hundred thousand dollars a year for their endpoint detection, but there's certainly investments you can make that can limit your exposure because one data breach, and you're looking at $4.6 million on average for one data breach. So if you can absorb that, you know, fine. If that's the risk you want to we can absorb that 4.6 million. But most small and medium-sized businesses I know can't afford that 4.6 million. And 60% of them are going to go out of business with one data breach. So, Yeah, that's a very good point to wrap on is that um, you know, the, the, the move to the cloud, and again, we, I won't, I won't say we, we were reticent to do it, but we, we waited a long, long time. But I remember having the conversation with Microsoft a couple of years ago when they first came knocking on the door to come to their cloud. And I, uh, I used to resell Office 365 back, you know, in 2012, 2013, when it, you really took a lot of risk with it. But uh, the, the guy from Microsoft said, we spend a billion dollars a year on cybersecurity. And I said, man, how much do you think the Chinese are spending against that? I mean, <laughs> seriously, Microsoft. Uh, you're, also, yeah. you're also the biggest target, uh, you, you, right. you and Google. So if, if, if you are a small business and the move to the cloud makes sense. The apps are better. The convenience is there. The, the mobility, especially now with the mobile workforce, is all there. Don't give up on. Uh, don't throw away the idea that you still have to have, uh, you know, a, 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 a CISO or somebody that's looking at this from a security perspective and helping you with your cloud, you know, your, your cloud uh, right. security, like you said. Um, and and you know, it, it is probably something that you can just ramp up and do in a you know period of time and say, hey. Yeah, we've got that done, and then you just come back every year and revisit it because once you get there, you're not changing things very often. But I, but, but yeah, the yeah, yeah, the home, the home use computers is a whole other is a whole other uh, podcast without a doubt. So well, one of the biggest you know one of the biggest vulnerability breaches, I guess I don't know a better way to state it, in the last six months was Outlook's vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It was so bad that the government was going into companies and fixing it for them without their knowledge. That's how bad they realized it to be. So, I mean, yeah, great. Microsoft has, is a great company, does great, but a billion, they're doing a billion dollars for, to, to secure themselves. But even that is not, it's not hundred percent. Yeah. And, and then once you get that plan in place, if it's your cloud strategy or keeping, if you got to keep legacy on premise, 
um, get somebody that come, you know, can come in and look. And again, you don't have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to do this right now because so much of this is templated, but you do need somebody that understands the material and understands what those switches all mean in the cloud. Um, again, just I, I, I always get anecdotal, but we're doing a, a, a risk assessment for a third party for us. And they said, if you got a Microsoft BA, we need to make sure you've executed one. I said, you don't even you don't execute a business associate agreement with Microsoft anymore. You used to, but now it's it's done for you, and it's their agreement, which is not even. And I'm talking about HIPAA here, but that's not business associate agreements are supposed to be from us, the covered entity, and it's supposed to be our legal language that protects us. But Microsoft's so big now, you get you get to use theirs. Well, I, I guarantee you, there's things in there that the lawyer would have a field day with if we were ever trying to get damages out of Microsoft. They're gonna mm-hmm. be like, nope, uh, you know, you you can't. We're held harmless from that and all these other things that if it was our agreement, we would have never agreed to. But Microsoft doesn't even give you the option anymore. So you, you've got to read the service agreement and you know and and the standard terms and conditions. And oh, by, by the way, there's your HIPAA uh, BAA that we templated out for you. And good luck to you. And then it says and check your cyber insurance provider. Make sure he's good yeah, with it too. Which brings it down to the final part, which is make sure <laughs> that once you've done all of this, is that your cyber insurance provider's got you covered. Uh, because mm-hmm. as we all say, it's not if, it's when, right? Uh, uh-huh. Well, Darren, I want to thank you very much for your time, uh, g- giving us this hour um, as we as we wrap this. Uh, if you're looking for more information, like I said, Darren's got over 100 hours of, of material up on this uh, cyber guy, C-Y-B-U-R guy, uh, wherever you get your podcast. Um, look for the ones for family or for, the, or for FBI. They're all very well labeled, and he's got links to a lot of content behind that too. Um but this has been a, a very in, in, uh, informational and educational uh, couple, couple of segments. And, uh, and thank you for t- tuning in with us, too. Uh, so I'm your host, Russ Dorsey, with Cyber Matters here with Kasuf and the Kasuf Podcast Network. And wishing you a good afternoon, and we'll see you again soon.